morning, everyone. Our first reading today comes from uh, Matthew 26, verses 45 to 46, and that's on page 682 of your pew Bible. So again, that's Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then our second reading comes from Psalm 22 on page 376. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a human being. I am scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me feel secure on my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, but there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My, hone, my heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From here comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. That psalm is a trip, hey? Like, that's, that, that, was some, that psalm is something. Thank you for preaching on that, Aaron. By the way, Aaron's preaching on that one. Um, du- during Lent, uh, by the way, this is our last Focus Sunday of the season of Lent. Uh, we're very, getting really close to Easter. And during Focus Sundays, we've been preaching on, on topics of forgiveness and, and confession and uh, renouncing our, our old and, uh, and dark stories for, for the story of, of the gospel. And uh, last uh, Sunday, no, two Sundays, last Focus, so two Sundays ago, uh, Jake preached on Psalm 23 of how we are all invited to God's table regardless of sexual orientation, ethnicity, and age, gender. We're all invited to God's table. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, this Sunday we have a very special per- uh, person closing this uh, Lent series off is, uh, is Aaron Lotzenheimer. And he's a psychologist. He has an MA in theology as well. Theology, right? MA in theology as well. He's also a bass player, a dobro, a dobro player, a guitar player, a singer, a, lead, a, a worship leader, a father, and a husband. Am I missing something else? What, what sports did you play before? No, no. <laughs> so, no sports. <laughs> I, I want you to give, give Aaron Lotzenhammer a warm welcome, please. He's going to close us off this Sunday. Uh, Farzan, Farzan, can you help us with, with the pulpit? I got something to live up to evidently now. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I'm going to use the uh, New Living Translation of abandoned rather than forsaken because I know most of us don't know what forsaken means. As, uh, I was, as you were told, I'm a psychologist. And back before psychology had such troublesome things as ethics, Researchers were looking into the effects of social isolation in human beings. In the experiment, they had each subject alone in a cubicle locked up for three days. To complete their isolation, they were blindfolded and there was white noise going on the whole time. Shockingly enough, the experiment made the subjects irritable. But more than that, the subjects experienced cognitive impairments and even hallucinations. Humans are social animals. Isolation and abandonment have devastating consequences on us. This is easily seen in the cases of child neglect. Child neglect leads to emotional difficulties, academic difficulties, social difficulties, and even changes in the brain physiology. Neglect is as detrimental as physical abuse. Abandonment isn't just a childhood thing, of course, though. In adulthood, people experience depression, anxiety, insomnia, psychological difficulties in, in response to being abandoned and isolated. 
This is all too well known, unfortunately, since the height of COVID. Since the height of COVID and ever since COVID, my uh, respect, my bleh, requests for therapy have spiked. Where I used to get maybe one every two months, I now get one every one or two weeks. People have been isolated, distanced from others, and they are hurting. When individuals are socially isolated, they experience what we call social pain. This is a kind of pain that actually is in keeping with physical pain. In the brain, the same areas light up as they would for physical pain. Abandonment and isolation, again, have severe repercussions. The psalmist can certainly speak to the repercussions of abandonment. Not only is he separated from his God, he is separated from his people. Abandonment in the ancient world had serious consequences. Here, without the protection of God, his enemies are closing in and dividing up his possessions as if he were already dead. Seemingly abandoned by God, the psalmist experiences physical symptoms. He's poured out like water. His bones are all out of joint. His mouth is dried up. Likely, he was experiencing social pain. In feeling abandoned by God, the psalmist is rendered less than human. I am a worm. Now, as an aside here, I must say as a psychologist, this is a perfect example of depressogenic thinking. Um, if I were treating him, I would help him reframe this as, I feel like a worm. But maybe it's better that there weren't psychologists back then. I am a worm, an insignificant being. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The first line is seemingly a contradiction between theology and experience. Theology that God delivers who trust in him and his covenant versus experience in which such deliverance seems far away. The psalmist feels totally abandoned. The verb abandoned is in the perfect tense, giving the sense of a complete and final act. He knows that God could answer, has answered in the past, but is not answering now. For the first half of the psalm, God is silent. The psalmist is abandoned. Yet in verse 22, there's a reversal. Where he felt abandoned, he realizes that God did not, in fact, leave him. Where he cried out for help with no answers, God, in fact, had heard him and answers him. In contrast to the agony of the psalmist in the beginning, he is brought to restoration in the end. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Psalm 22 is both a psalm of lament and a prayer of thanksgiving. So that's the theology of it. What actually does it mean for us? One way of reading Psalm 22 is obviously in the light of Matthew. That is, one way to see it is as a prophetic psalm. Certainly in hindsight, it's easier for us to see it that way. Just as the psalmist felt abandoned, Jesus felt abandoned. So is the point of the psalm merely that it points to Christ on the cross? I don't think so. Reading this as solely prophetic robs us of the implications that it has for us. That is, if we read this only as prediction, 
we miss the obligation to see ourselves in the psalm. How should we do that? I'm going to give you a little heuristic. It's a psychological term for a little way to remember things. There are three implications I will examine. First of these is faith. The lesson of Psalm 22 is an encouragement to have faith. Even in his anguish, the psalmist has faith. My God, he cries out. Not, hey, you. He has faith in his God. It's the faith spoken of in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. It is the faith in the letter to the Hebrews. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our convictions firmly to the very end. Even in his anguish, the psalmist recalls that God has been there for him from the very end, very beginning. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Why should we have faith? Because God is with us. God has not abandoned us. The psalm begins with abandonment, but does not end with it. The psalm ends actually with a cry of victory. He has done it. The psalmist's faith is a call for us to have faith. The second implication is hope. The psalmist has hope that God will be there for him. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild bulls. He puts his hope in the Lord. Deliver me. Rescue me. He asks for these things because he knows that God can do it. He has hope. It is the hope of Jeremiah For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. It is the hope of Paul. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Moreover, the psalmist ends with what we call an eschatology, that is a theology of the end of things, an eschatology of hope. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All nations will turn to God. There will be a time when all this chaos, all this disorder that we have, will be made right. There will be a time when we will be united by God. The psalmist hope is a call for our own need for hope. Now you may say that that's all well and good, but in the midst of my suffering, I don't need encouragement to have faith. 
in the midst of feeling abandoned, I have no hope. What I need is help. When I was in university, I suffered a deep depression. I remember feeling lost and in pain. I remember feeling abandoned by God. In that abandonment, I didn't need somebody telling me that God would use this for good things in the future. I didn't need somebody telling me to have faith. I needed help. This brings me to the final implication and the final piece of the heuristic. I'm wondering if you can guess what it is. The third implication is one of action. Jesus came for the abandoned and the helpless. He came for the sinners. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The third implication is one of action. The third implication is love. It is the love that helps the neglected child recover. It is the love that so many people needed during the COVID shutdown. It's the love that we are called to give. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When I was in that deep depression, it was the campus's InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that showed me love. They took me in and embraced me. They gave me a place to belong. Psalm 22 calls us to identify with the pain of those in times of deep suffering and to respond. It asks us to be present in the abandonment and to respond to it. I think it's interesting that the context of, it is in the context rather of community that the psalmist is restored. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vow. It is within us as community that love can be truly in action. We are the body of Christ on earth. If this is the case, then we are called to love as Christ loved. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his wonderful little book, Life Together, where he says, God himself has undertaken to teach love, that all people can add to it is to remember that divine instruction more and more. When God was merciful, he revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother. When God won our hearts with his love, this was the beginning of the instruction in love. When God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful to others. When we received forgiveness, instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive. What God did to us, we then do to others. We should be the ones to hear the cry, to deliver from the sword, to rescue from the lions and the dogs. We are not to sit idly by and know that God is going to respond. We should respond. We proclaim God's goodness to the world through our actions of mercy and justice and hope. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. We are to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to be with those who mourn, and I would say to seek out those who feel abandoned because they have not been abandoned by God. Psalm 22 is a prayer of lament, but it's also a prayer of faith and hope and love. It is a story of human experience, a story of human suffering and God's restoration and salvation. It is not framed these things as lessons that we must go through in order to be taught something. It recognizes the reality of human suffering, the abandonment of the others, and yet we are given the encouragement to have faith, have hope, and have love. Would you be with me in prayer? Our Lord God, it is our privilege to respond to others in faith, in hope, and in love. You have given it to us, and we respond. We pray that you will be with us in our actions, in our thoughts, in our deeds, that we will show your goodness to others. Amen. <laughs>